Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. Well, today on the show, we get to talk about one of my favorite topics. Brian's, and Brian's my... still in a good mood. I thought you would have seen this topic list today, Brian, and just been in a bad mood to begin with, because this one has literally cost us thousands of dollars. Our, our, uh, Don't just say thousands. Our, our education Tens on this, of thousands. Yeah, our education on this topic has personally cost us a lot of money. We've learned the lessons the hard way, but but we have learned some lessons, and we are seeing some success. We're talking today about Brian's favorite, sclerotinia well, white mold. My, one of my favorite topics to talk about, certainly not my favorite thing to see. I'd say it's one of my least favorite things to ever see. And, and let me just tell you a quick story on why uh, this goes back uh, not all that many years ago. We were probably, I don't know, five years ago or something. We were going along harvesting 90 plus bushel soybeans. And I thought, man, this field is going to be phenomenal. And I was in my office and I could see our guys running a couple of combines out in the field. And so I was getting the yield report. And then all of a sudden the yield dropped off and then dropped off more. And then it literally dropped to zero. It went to zero. They're going 90s, 95, down to zero. And I'm going, what in the world is going on? Go out there. Oh, it's sclerotinia white mold. You do not want this in your field. It is the worst disease you can get in soybeans. So we're going to talk about that throughout the show today. If you've got any questions for us, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. So we're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute here. But before we do, I will just say with sclerotinia white mold, and again, we'll talk about this throughout the show, but don't think that you can do one thing and then it's going to solve the problem. So for example, at right at this time of year, when a lot of people are seeding soybeans, they say, well, I'm just going to plant wide rows and I'm going to cut my population. That's going to solve my white mold problem. <laughs> oh no, it definitely is not. We've had some horrible white mold on our farm and we seeded, let's see, there was one year we seeded 105,000 plants per acre when everything else was 140. The variety makes a lot of difference. The soil makes a lot of difference. The weather, the fungicide you use, all these other things make a huge difference in the amount of white mold you're going to have. So don't think you can just cut the planting population or go to wide rows and that'll solve the problem. Will it help? Sure. But that's only one step. So I'd really, really encourage you, start early, start in the winter next time, or even the fall. I mean, you could use contans in the fall. That's a fungus that will eat the sclerotia. And yes, it costs some money. But hey, if you just put it where you've had a problem in the past, that's going to make a lot of difference in terms of how much white mold you have after that. In season now, once you're to this point, I would encourage you, if you want to, you can go spray some Cobra or there's Phoenix that's safe in Cobra, only costs like four or five bucks an acre. Do that right before the beans flower in about the middle of June and then come with fungicide. You can spray fungicide multiple times. There are some good products and yes, Endura is probably sold out already. Um, if not, it costs 30 bucks an acre. But there are other products, too, like uh, there's Tolaris uh, or Topson. There's Andiamo or Domark. I mean, we do a combination of those two, Andiamo and Tolaris. You get two different modes of action. You can use a full rate of both and only spend 11 bucks. There's Proline out there. There are other products out there in terms of fungicides, but you got to start early. Start at R1 right away when you see flowers because typically white mold enters in where those flowers die off. Okay, so you 
probably are never going to get white mold into the plant before R1, so don't get too worried about it super early. But you got to be there on time with those fungicides, otherwise white mold can kill you. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! All right, got this one from Marty in North Carolina. He said, I will be banding dry urea over the top of the seed row with my planter, just laying it on top, 30-inch rows. My question is, how many pounds per acre is it safe to apply on my conventional silage corn? I don't want to cause any salt injury to the emerging corn seedling. <laughs> I love when we get these questions about how far can I push it? That's really what it comes down to. Look, it depends on so many factors, so it's really hard to say. So we're always, when we get the question about how far can we push it, we're going to always tell you, be conservative. Now, as I say that, when you talk about urea, I have great concern about leaving it lay on the soil surface, especially in a year like this year where we've been super dry. Well, quite frankly, in the last 10 months on our farm, we've had a grand total, a grand total of nine inches of precip. That's it. And that includes the snow. So if you're not going to get rain in 48 hours, you're going to start losing that urea. That's the first thing. If you want to stabilize it, use a nitrogen stabilizer. You can certainly do that. And that's going to help, but it's not going to completely solve your problem. You've got to have rain relatively soon. The next thing is, how heavy is your soil? If you've got a cation exchange capacity of 25, like some of our ground is, that's whole different than if you have a cation exchange capacity of 3. So the heavier the ground, the more urea you can get by with. Then in terms of the plant emerging, you know, I don't know that I can say I've ever seen a problem with the plant emerging, hitting a layer of nitrogen and having a major problem. Now, we do see that sometimes with different herbicides, but I can't really say I see that so much with fertilizer. Where we worry about the fertilizer and salt is more at the germination point and then with some of the roots that are down there. So if they hit a zone that's hot in terms of fertilizer, then you actually can burn some roots off. So I I don't know that I'm super worried about how much urea you're putting out there, but those are kind of the parameters to go by. All right. Thanks for the question. Really appreciate that, Marty. Uh, get this one from Ski Dude who says, I'm wondering, you were talking about how many seeds per square foot on soybeans, but never mentioned how many pounds of seed that you're putting out there per acre and so forth and how many seeds you're targeting on your farm. <laughs> so let's just yeah. go with the standard number of 140,000 plants per acre. That's roughly 50 pounds of soybean seed if the seed is 2,800 seeds per pound. We used to put out 90 pounds of seed, so 250,000 plants back in the conventional bin run days. Then we hear some guys talking about low rates, as low as 30 pounds, only 90,000 seeds per acre. We like somewhere in that neighborhood of 140,000, maybe a little less. That's eight plants per square foot in our 30-inch rows. Thanks for the question. We'll be right back. Weed control without the BS. That's more time to apply without wasting time. That's flexible tank mixing that doesn't bend the truth. That's near zero volatility with unmovable principles. With the Enlist weed control system, there is no sacrificing. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. You're looking for soybeans that give you the yield you want. 
But when it comes to fighting your toughest weeds, you also need flexibility. Introducing Extend Flex Soybeans. Elite genetics with triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate. The yield you want, the choice you need. Learn more at extendflexsoy.com. Always read and follow IRM where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. If you're a student seeking a career in agriculture or just want to learn more about raising good crops, at Ag PhD, we have some great news for you. On Saturday, June 26th, we're holding an Ag PhD Young Farmers Field Day right here on our farm. In addition to providing great information, we'll be heading into the fields to show you the principles of agronomy and crop scouting firsthand. College scholarships will be available to eligible attendees, too. For more information and to register for the Young Farmers Field Day, visit agphd.com. This is Quick Dick McDick from Tufnell asking you, have you heard of Mandaco Land Rollers? They're the ones with the green paint, and I'm not talking about the green paint that requires a technician and a laptop to fix. I'm talking about the Mandaco green paint that doesn't need fixing because it's built tough. We're talking 5 8 thick, 42-inch diameter drums, people, and I've learned never to talk about size unless you can back it up when a measuring tape gets pulled out. So keep your seed and rocks in the ground where they belong and get yourself a roller at mandaco.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. And we are talking about one of the toughest problems that we face on our own farm. But it's not just a problem unique to us. This is something that we see all over wherever soybeans are grown. Sclerotinia white mold. I, I should say in the north. We see this in the north where soybeans are grown. And there are a lot of different things that we talk about to try to help farmers alleviate some of this sclerotinia white mold problem in soybeans especially and and sunflowers and edible beans and a number of different crops we've got our friend jason snell on with syngenta over in minnesota i know the farmers in minnesota are very familiar with sclerotinia white mold on a number of crops jason thank you so much for joining us yeah thanks for having me all right so you get this question a lot just like we do Jason, is this going to be the year? Are we going to have white mold? And we're just planting now. What are some of the things that we should be doing to try to reduce the the white mold pressure and give our crops the best chance? Yeah, absolutely. We get this question, you know, every year, and there's kind of a, I don't know if you call it an old wives' tale or kind of a common um, thought that odd years tend to have a little more white mold pressure, and we're in an odd year with 21, obviously. And we did have quite a bit of white mold in 19, so if those corn bean rotations are every other year, we're coming back to a soybean rotation on some of those soybean fields from 19 that may have had a higher uh, history of white mold in those years. So uh, some things you can do uh, early on the season here is uh, cultural practices can be very helpful with white mold. Uh, wider row spacings, uh, maybe a little bit lower populations if you're in a high-pressure area. Uh, making sure your rotations to susceptible uh, crops are as wide as far apart as you can get um, with small grains and corn and that rotation tends to help spread that out. The grasses are not very good hosts of white mold, so uh, those are all safe for rotational crops. Um, and really uh, strong genetics. Soybean genetics that have a strong white mold uh, tolerance can do you a lot of benefit um, before you put it in the ground. 
Yeah, this this sure can. There's a big difference. One of the things that I look for, Jason, and we talk about a lot is plant architecture. We look at standability, smaller leaves, uh, upright branches, anything that allows more sunlight to get through those the the canopy. And I think where a lot of farmers go to, and one of the first questions we get is. Well, which fungicide should I use? I know this is a fungal pathogen. I, I want to put a fungicide out there early. What's the best timing? And are there some products that are better than others? Yeah, that's, it's a good question. And, uh, and really, if you focus on that cultural part, hopefully you don't put as much pressure on your fungicide because it is probably the the weakest link. Even the best fungicides are the weakest link in this in this chain of of actions that you can use to reduce your susceptibility to white mold. Uh, but some really good white mold fungicides out there, uh, there's several on the market. Uh, one that we have sold for many years is called Omega. Uh, Fluazinam is the active ingredient. It's a very strong white mold product. Uh, we've used it for many years, especially in the potato industry, um, and it's moved over to dry beans and soybeans uh, in many fields. Uh, very, very strong white mold protection. Um, and then we have also a new product we launched a few years ago called Mirvis Neal. Uh, and especially on soybeans, we have a high rate, we call it the white mold rate, uh, 20.8 ounces, which brings a very nice load of the adepinin molecule, uh, the, the Mirvis part of Mirvis Neal, and that has very good activity on white mold as well. So if I would rank them, I'd say Omega is going to be the best on white mold in our lineup, and then Mirvis Neal would be a close second. Yeah, you mentioned going to the higher rate, and this is one of the things that we see a lot of times you have to invest a little more money in the crop to get the protection. Brian was talking about the tens of thousands of dollars that we've almost for sure lost on our farm to white mold over the years that sometimes spending that extra 10 bucks, 20 bucks, 30 bucks an acre could save hundreds of dollars worth of crop. Yeah, it can be devastating. And the, the worst part about white mold, I think, well, there's a lot of bad things about white mold, but maybe one of the worst ones is it usually affects the best-looking part of your field, the, the most productive, the most top growth, the most vegetative growth, which often leads to more uh, yield in the end of the at the end of the year. Those are the, the areas of the field that generally get hammered the worst. And it's really due to that microclimate below the canopy um, that just induces um, longer soil moisture, uh, less sunlight penetration, and gets the... Uh, the apothecia allowed to germinate from the sclerotia and then uh, emit their spores up onto the plants. And then in that microclimate, you just have a longer time period, a longer interval during the cropping season uh, where that can happen. Now, when we're hot and we're dry, we don't see as much white mold pressure. But you mentioned these high fertility heavy ground, places that can hold more moisture, whether good or bad, whether it's poor drainage or whether it's just, hey, we've got a lot of organic matter here and we've got a nice crop canopy and some good heavy dirt that we can hold moisture. Those high fertility areas, it just seems to be a real struggle. Like you mentioned, oftentimes this hits us in our best yielding parts of the field. What do you learn from that? Are there some things that you want to change with variable rate technology we've got with fertility, with seeding, those types of things in those real hot spot areas? Yeah, I've seen some studies that are starting to maybe lean towards that uh, lower, lowering that population in those real high hot spots. Um, you can lower it to a certain point and still not give up yield, but kind of inoculate yourself a little bit from a little bit, at least reducing your white mold pressure a little more. Um, and then really the, the fertilizer, uh, we see it the most under a couple big situations. One is uh, manured fields where it's a very high load of, of fertilizer and also irrigated fields where that 
that moisture situation just keeps regenerating with the pivots as they turn over and especially in a dry period you're to run the pivots more so then your soil stays stays uh, moist longer and, and it leads to more germination of the sclerotia. One of the things that we've heard growers talk about is things like cobra gets a lot of attention. Uh, you know, also some guys will say, well, I use a strong rate of Flexstar. I put a little burn on the beans that maybe the canopy isn't quite as thick, lets a little bit more sunlight in. What have you seen with products like that? You know, I think the jury's still out. I've seen um, from grower practices and on my own farm that sometimes you can see a positive um response to reducing the white mold pressure but sometimes there's also a cost in the overall yield in those situations because you are burning leaves back more than you need to um in in again those are in kind of extreme situations where you're you're really reducing foliage quite a bit and that's not all the cases um but it's, it's a balancing act you really need to be happy with your decision be able to uh live with whatever happens um but if you go to the scholarly side or the university side there's really not a lot of evidence that they can show um, in their replicated trials that a burner type product on a, on a soybean crop uh, year in and year out, um, especially under moderate to low pressure white mold, is going to give you enough benefit um, in the white mold reduction to offset the, the yield reduction potential. Yeah, there, there's a lot of agronomic topics that the jury is still out. There's no doubt about that. I want to switch gears, though, Jason, because we've got a lot of questions, and you're you're one of the perfect guys here to answer this. We've got a lot of soybean prees that went out there, and corn prees for that matter, and there are areas that just haven't caught rain to get those prees activated. What kind of advice are you giving out in the marketplace right now, especially on corn and beans, but but on any other crop you want to comment on as well? Yeah, a lot, a lot of a uh, very hot topic this time of uh, this year, especially with the dry weather widespread across much of the growing area. Um, my my general consensus is it's it's always better to have a pre, um, even when years you don't think they're doing very much. If you have an untreated strip or a corner that you may have missed, they w they do still perform and they do reduce a lot of that weed pressure. Um, they may not live up to our highest uh, expectations of a very well activated, uh, high moisture environment with those prees uh, but they are still doing something and they do take pressure off the posts so yeah my advice is always try and use a pre uh, especially in in soybeans but it's been very common in corn with the early season weed pressure uh, yield reductions we've seen in corn as well uh, so yeah always try to plant a pre and then follow up with a really robust post um, and try to pick a pre that's very photostable that's probably the, the biggest benefit uh, or the biggest advantage this time of year or this kind of a year where it's dry is a photostable pre that will stay on the soil for a while and kind of give you a little bit more time to catch one of those rains or, or get that activating rainfall or moisture across that field uh, to get it activated. Yeah, but eventually we're going to get that. Eventually not, we're going to get that rain, Jason. I know we will. And we'll see good control later. I, I was talking to an agronomist this morning and he said, yep, because I'm predicting a clean field at the end of the year, but an early burn down for a lot of these guys because there are already some weeds that are yep. starting to pop up. Hey, we got to run, Jason. Thanks for talking to us today. Really appreciate it and look forward to talking to you down the road. It was my pleasure. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Mm-hmm. 
Each year brings new and unique challenges to farming, and your operation needs to constantly adapt to meet them. That's why at AgBiome, we're working every day to bring you new and better solutions, microbial-based solutions that protect your crop and help it reach its full potential. To learn more about how we're doing it, visit agbiome.com. That's A-G-B-I-O-M-E.com. AgBiome, feeding the world responsibly, partnering with microbes for human benefit. When it comes to trusted herbicide formulations, you know New Farm, and you certainly know New Farm exclusive Weedmaster. For decades, Weedmaster has been the go-to herbicide for consistent burndown weed control in a huge variety of crops, and in range and pasture management too. Don't let yield-robbing weeds stand in the way of your progress or profits. New Farm and Weedmaster Herbicide, here to help. Don't miss the Ag PhD Field Day this year. After postponing last season, we're back and better than ever, and we have a lot of catching up to do. With the latest in ag technologies on display in our plots, in-person sessions with the world's top farmers, and tons of entertainment, food, and more, it's a day you won't want to miss. Thursday, July 29th, right here on the Hefty Farm. For more information and to register for the Ag PhD Field Day, visit agphd.com. Help keep the toughest, most resistant diseases out of your fields with Lucento fungicide from FMC. An exclusive novel premix of two modes of action delivers broad-spectrum control and a long-lasting protective residual. Tackle key diseases in corn, soybeans, wheat, peanuts, and sugar beets. Choose Lucento fungicide from FMC. Visit your FMC retailer or lucento.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions for use. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Broadcasting from the Morton studio and talking about one of Brian's least favorite topics. I have to tease him all the time because anytime someone brings up white mold, I can just literally see the hair just stand up. And he's he's like, oh, that white mold, it's cost us so much. And, and we've learned lessons the hard way with white mold like everyone has. Uh, a lot of the lessons that we are learning right now, we're getting from some great research. And one of the guys doing that research is Damon Smith at the University of Wisconsin. Damon, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right. So we're dry in the West. And I've already talked to some farmers who have said, you know, white mold's not going to be a problem this year. It's way too early, isn't it, Damon, to, to make a statement like that? 
Yeah, it, it really is. Um, we're dry here too. I mean, we're we're in a moderate drought. We're catching some rain now this week, but uh, you know, it's it's way too early right now to sort of get that, um, you know, get that crystal ball out and try to predict what's going to happen a month or a month and a half from now, which is where the window window of opportunity for the fungus really is. Yeah, we had a, a caller, uh, Geronimo, out in Indiana. He likes to call and, and just leave messages. He doesn't want to be on, doesn't want to talk on the air as much, but he said the only solution he's found is continuous corn for the rest of his life until somebody comes up with a completely resistant soybean variety to white mold. Is that coming? Are we going to see that down the road? Because the breeders that I talked to, Damon, they don't have a lot of hope for that. Yeah, I mean – back in the mid nineties, we did have some decent partial resistance. Um, and then that's sort of gone away, uh, to a certain extent as we've moved, you know, new technologies and the breeding pipeline turns over so rapidly. Um, you know, what, what everybody wants is, is complete resistance, you know, where we don't have any white mold in it. It appears that that, that at least is probably at least in the near future unattainable uh there are decent levels of partial resistance out there but the you know there's this old issue where you you impart some partial resistance and you you lose a little bit on yield so you know farmers tend to still drift towards yield and then trying to manage the disease and you know if we can impart a little bit of resistance in there that's great but you're going to have to do probably multiple things in, in terms of an integrated management strategy to, to take care of this problem. One of the things I've heard a lot of growers talking about this year is putting soybeans in earlier, trying to get higher yields. To me, I look at early planted soybeans and I see one risk being now you've got a really thick canopy even earlier. It seems like that might make the environment even tougher to fight white mold in. Am I right on that thinking? It could be, although it is dependent a little bit, uh, again, on how the weather patterns sort of line up with that growth stage. You know, some of those earlier planted soybeans, depending on maturity groups for for that particular location, they may bloom and end up through the the major portion where the fungus likes to infect the soybean, you know, before the weather gets conducive for the fungus. You know, here in Wisconsin over the last couple of seasons, we've actually had later epidemics. So, um, you know, epidemics into, into the August timeframe where we've had below normal uh, temperatures and above average rainfall, which has been driving those particular epidemics. And so it does depend a little bit, again, on how that sort of environmental component lines up with uh, that, that bloom time, which is the most susceptible time in soybeans. And so it is a little bit of a moving target. You just sort of have to watch what's going on. I, I wouldn't recommend a farmer delaying planting. I think there's just too much to give up on yield. I, you know, in talking with Sean Conley, we like to get folks out there, get those beans in, and, and then we can try to manage uh, some of these issues later on in the season if, if they're warranted. All right, we get a lot of questions about fungicide, and I know that there are a lot of trials done at the university level, and farmers always are looking at those to see, do any of these new products have any hope for us? And we we see so many of these SDHI chemistries coming out, and growers asking the question, okay, so... The strobilurins, not the greatest. The triazoles, well, they weren't the greatest either. What about these SDHIs? Do you see any hope with some of the SDHIs or some of the three mode of action fungicides giving us some extra help? 
Yeah, you know, uh, we, we do like the SDHIs, uh, you know, of course we've had Endura around. That's sort of been the one that, um, you know, has been carrying a lot of the load when it comes to white mold. But we now have other SDHIs, and they are, in, as you point out, uh, in two- and three-way mixes. And we've been looking at uh, some of those. And, and I'd say some of those are, you know, hanging in there okay with Endura. You know, our, our Endura treatments, the eight ounces still at, you know, somewhere in that bloom time tend to still be the, the, the best products in there. But we do have a couple of these newer products coming in, and, you know, that, that, you know, edge up a little bit, but nothing's ever quite as good. And I think part of the problem is, is when we look at the concentration of the actual SDHI molecule in, in Endura, it's actually 70%. Um, you know, proportion in there. And so, you know, I think partly partly what's happening in, in some of these mixes is we actually dilute the active ingredient down a little bit because we've got to fit those other molecules uh, in that product as well, and we just lose a little bit on, on that active ingredient. So I still like to see, you know, if folks are just really battling a white mold problem, you know, it's been historically an issue, you, you have high levels each year, you know, you're still going to get probably the best return on your your investment with that eight ounce Endura uh, going out, you know, in that, that bloom uh, time frame. So it just continues to be the one that flows to the top. Uh, we have some other, you know, other things which, you know, might come close a little bit, but, you know, just aren't going to be quite as good as that particular product. Yeah, there really is not a silver bullet with sclerotinia white mold, that's for sure. There's a lot of things. We talked through a bunch of the cultural practices, wider rows, lower population, extending your rotation away from these sensitive crops, picking better varieties, uh, choosing the right plant architecture, those types of things. What about cultivation? When you see those little mushrooms out in the field and you identify, wow, those are actually going to be sclerotinia problems for me could you do some cultivation or could you spray something on the mushrooms before they send the spores out yeah this is uh we've been getting this question a lot lately um as as folks are sort of revisiting um you know in-season cultivation and absolutely when we get into that kind of just just before the bloom time you know that that structure, that little mushroom structure, is actually forming. You know, over the over the previous months, just under the soil surface, and then once that once the uh, crop flowers, it forms a little tiny cup on top, which you know gives rise to to the spores. And so, by running a you know cultivator through kind of just before that bloom time, you're actually going to disrupt the the development of that structure and take it completely out of the system. So that that's been a good way of um, you know, controlling it. We, we actually are working on our research stations. We always put big signs up, you know, do not cultivate because we're trying to get data. <laughs> it, it will, it will uh, reduce our data for sure. So it's a great way. And, you know, here in Wisconsin, we've also got a lot of interest in, in rye cover crops and roller crimping rye too, you know, actually forming a physical barrier. Um, and we're actually going to be doing some on-farm strip trials this year. So there's some, some, you know, new thoughts in terms of what we can do, you know, uh, from that standpoint to try to control this particular disease and actually try to disrupt uh, the formation or, or block, you know, the, the, you know, ejection of those spores up into the soybean canopy. 
Yeah, that's going to be interesting to see how that works. I know we've got a lot of farmers across the country that are certainly trying some of these different things in different parts of their farm this year. So we'll we'll hear from farmers across the country as well as to, hey, do some of these new things or maybe some of these old techniques revisited really make an impact and, and help our yield in 2021? Talking with Damon Smith with University of Wisconsin. Damon, you've been so generous with your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for the info and what you do, and good luck this spring. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate everything you guys do. Take care. You bet. Thanks. Yeah, I hope I hope uh, that Damon's trials all have no white mold in them this year. I hope I hope that the crops are great for farmers in those areas. But by the same token, if anybody gets white mold this year, I do hope it's Damon because he's going to get some good data on us on uh, what will stop white mold and and hopefully that that helps carry us a little bit forward. Brian I was talking about some of these things and you know cultivation. This is something that a lot of guys just don't do anymore. It has been effective. So at what point? Do we revisit some of those things that just might be a pain in the neck? Well, there are other things that can be done. So right after this break, we're going to talk a little about what else can you do if you want to avoid cultivation. So, yep, that can help. But there are a lot of other things that can assist in reducing your issues with sclerotinia white mold. We'll talk about that right after this. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Introducing the next generation of weed control in wheat, Wide AR Match Herbicide. Uh, I'm sorry, is this a typo? I mean, there's an AR in the middle of Wide Match. Mm-hmm, that's the name. It's called Wide R Match Herbicide. Oh, my bad. From the top. <clears throat> Introducing Wide R Match from Corteva AgriScience. It's not a typo. It's an upgrade. The AR stands for RLX Active for improved control of the toughest broadleaf weeds in wheat. Talk with your retailer to learn more. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. If you're a student seeking a career in agriculture or just want to learn more about raising good crops, at Ag PhD, we have some great news for you. On Saturday, June 26th, we're holding an Ag PhD Young Farmers Field Day right here on our farm. In addition to providing great information, we'll be heading into the fields to show you the principles of agronomy and crop scouting firsthand. College scholarships will be available to eligible attendees too. 
For more information and to register for the Young Farmers Field Day, visit agphd.com. Pentair Hypro 3D nozzles are your premier choice for fungicide applications. Syngenta fungicide application field trials have shown Hypro 3D nozzles provide a yield advantage of up to 10% over other nozzles, maximizing the return on your fungicide investment. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels in variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases a seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today talking sclerotinia white mold. If you've got any questions on that or anything else that's happening in your operation right now, just give us a call here, 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. Geronimo from Indiana called in to say uh, the solution to white mold is continuous corn for the rest of your life. <laughs> that's words of advice from his experience anyway. Uh, so look... I, I'm going to agree with Geronimo there that it would be a lot easier if all we did was plant corn. But guess what? When we plant corn, now we're more likely to get Goss's wilt, uh, bacterial leaf streak, rootworms. Um, you know, there are problems with raising continuous corn too. So I, I will say though, when white mold gets so bad, then it is a good idea if you can raise a non-host crop for two or three years. You come back, and then there's just a lot less sclerotia that's going to be there in the soil. I do want to talk just a little bit more about that contents product that I mentioned earlier in the show. That is a fungal product that the fungus eats the sclerotia. So that's basically what they would call the fruiting bodies for this sclerotinia white mold, what forms the mushrooms. So the way this disease works, it's the, these this sclerotia that's in the soil, these little black uh, chunks that uh, will create mushrooms. Those mushrooms will get started when it's wet in the middle of the growing season down in your soybean crop, and then they will shoot spores out. And then when those spores get to the right places, and like I was saying earlier, it's usually where this fungus enters into the plant, this white mold enters into the plant, it's where flowers have died off with soybeans. Now, white mold affects many other crops too. So many of the things we're talking about here today, in fact, almost all of the things we're talking about here today can be used in other crops as well. So whether it's canola or sunflowers or any other crop you've got where white mold hits, this is a terrible disease. So anyway, with contans, where we like to use that, is right after you've harvested the soybeans or whatever crop you raised where you had white mold. Since it's expensive, two pounds roughly costs you $32 an acre. Uh, and I, right away you're going to say, well, that's out. I'm not spending 30 bucks on anything. I want to come back to what we talked about in the open of the show today. And oh, and by the way, I looked up what year it was where we had that 90 plus bushel soybeans, literally 90, 95 bushel beans, and it went to zero. It went to zero. We had probably five acres in this field, and it's right in our home section. Five acres of zero. And I had, I don't even know, 50 acres? No, more than that. Probably 70, 80 acres of 90 plus. Well, sure, the average didn't turn out too bad, but 
I, I got we got killed in those bad spots. Anyway, one of the things that we show from time to time in our workshops is, okay, I had this map of 2015 and the, the harvest map and the disaster that we had in those few acres. Well, 2017, we raised soybeans again. Guess where the white mold was? It was exactly in the same spots where it was in 2015. I can almost guarantee you if you just go to your yield maps, you're going to find out where these bad areas are. Treat those areas. So, I mean, like in, in this field I'm talking to you about, roughly call it 90 acres, and if I've got five acres I have to treat, so what if I spend $30 on five acres? Who cares? It doesn't amount to diddly squat. But when I lose 90 bushels to the acre, 90 times even $10 beans, that's $900 an acre I lost. 900 The only good news is I'm sharing it with Darren. <laughs> So he lost half of that. But but the point is, it's no fun. Okay, so I can spend $30 and am I going to gain 90 bushels? No, but am I going to gain some? Yes. So you've got to put a full plan together for those horrible areas if you don't want to rotate away from a, a sensitive crop. So, or a susceptible crop, I should say. Here's one other thing that I'm going to assume almost no one's ever talked to you about. Did you know that soil manganese levels play an enormous role in how much white mold you have? It's true. It's a fact. Look it up. So here's my point. If you have low testing areas for manganese, just put some manganese on. And again, you don't have to put it on the whole field if you don't want to. At least put it in the areas where you normally have white mold. On our farm, it's less than 10% of our acres where we have a white mold, I would call it major risk. So on those 10% of acres, we might put some manganese on. We might use some contents. One other thing that we do is we will treat cobra in those bad areas. You start doing just those three things alone, and yeah, I know we invested some money, but all of a sudden you go from nothing to pretty decent yield. Then on top of that, I would say one of the most important things you need to do is pick a very tolerant seed variety. And one of the things that commonly happens to all of us as farmers, you go to the seed dealer in the spring and you're like, okay, well, I want to get this seed that we ordered back in September or whatever. And they go, you know, we just ran out of that. But I got this other really good variety. I know you're going to like that. If and when that happens to you, you have to make sure you don't forget about the defensive traits that you needed and the reason why you ordered that variety in the first place. Now, I'm not saying you have to plant a white mold tolerant variety or super white mold tolerant variety on the whole farm, but if you at least put it in those acres, on those acres where you've got risk, major risk, it's going to help you tremendously. So from my personal experience, I will just tell you the best thing is sure don't don't plant soybeans or any susceptible crop. The second best thing is just pick a really super tolerant variety. There's no resistance to white mold in beans, but there is tolerance. So make sure you're working with your seed company on that. We talked earlier about you can go to wide row spacing, you can go to lower planting population. Those things help, but in my experience, they don't help a lot, but they help some. There is a seed treatment called Heads Up that'll help you a little bit. Only costs about three bucks an acre. You can use that. One of the things I recommend to guys that I work with is I just say, look, use Warrant Ultra or Anthem Max Early Post. That'll give you a Group 15 and a PPO. It's a combination. And when you do that, you're going to stunt your beans a little bit. Now, you might say, well, what good's that going to do me? Look, shorter beans means less white mold. So that's coming back to the seed variety. We usually talk about, okay, we want that bean to have good tolerance, but we've noticed 
that the beans that do best on white mold or have the best tolerance are usually shorter and have great standability. Those are two big keys. Okay, we talked about Cobra or Phoenix a couple of times. I like to spray right before flowering. So we're talking 15th, 20th of June, something like that. And that translates to most areas because soybeans, at least in the northern United States or in Canada, we're dealing with indeterminate soybeans. They're going to start flowering once the days start to shorten after June 21. So you want to get this Cobra or Phoenix on right before that. Maybe, maybe when you see the very, very, very first flower in the field, it's fine. But you don't want to be spraying Cobra or Phoenix when the, the beans are fully flowering. You've got more risk. If you don't have rain after that, it's possible you might hurt the yield a little bit. Oh, and by the way, Cobra, Phoenix, they have decent activity on water hemp, ragweed, uh, some activity on kochia. So they're, they're not bad weed killers too, besides helping you on white mold, and the cost is super cheap. In terms of fungicide, I would just say you got to start right at R1. So that means as soon as flowering begins, I mean, once the whole field has started flowering, then I'd be going out there spraying my fungicide. We talked about Endura, and yes, it is sold out in a lot of areas. So if you haven't gotten your Endura yet and you need it, you better call today. And I'm dead serious. BSF's out. Uh, Endura is 30 bucks an acre. And where we use it and where I would suggest you use it is not on the whole field. And I realize soybeans are worth a lot of money. Every crop's worth a lot of money today. So you go, well, I could afford to do it. Yeah, I know you could afford to do it. But I wouldn't. I'd just put it where I have the most risk for white mold. And then I'd go cheaper in the other areas. So a lot of times for us, like I was saying earlier, we'll use Tolaris, Andiamo. I mean, there are, there are many different products that can help you on white mold. But use fungicide at least at R1. And then you can come back three weeks later, and you could even come back three weeks after that if you really wanted to. Don't ever forget that fungicide only protects the plant parts that are exposed at that time. So if the soybean or whatever crop you're spraying continues to grow, guess what? You're going to have unprotected foliage, you're going to have unprotected stems, and you're not going to get that disease control you want, even though you say, well, my fungicide supposedly has great residual. Yeah, it may be. That may be. But it doesn't protect part, plant parts that are not yet out. So anyway, hopefully all that helps you with sclerotinia white mold. We're going to get back to your questions in the IPHD mailbag right after this. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Don't miss the Ag PhD Field Day this year. After postponing last season, we're back and better than ever, and we have a lot of catching up to do. With the latest in ag technologies on display in our plots, in-person sessions with the world's top farmers, and tons of entertainment, food, and more, it's a day you won't want to miss. Thursday, July 29th, right here on the Hefty Farm. For more information and to register for the Ag PhD Field Day, visit agphd.com. 
If you're looking to get the most out of your foliar nutrition and fungicide programs, ask your ag retailer about Nutex EDA from Sipcam Agro. Nutex EDA has been proven to increase foliar micronutrient tissue levels and maintain those levels for an extended period of time. When tank mixed with fungicides, Nutex EDA helps support plant health, resulting in higher quality and yields. Nutex EDA is an affordable and effective solution that should be part of every grower's high-yield toolbox. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim. I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. <sighs> Makes life simple, and it's a secure choice with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm the fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. And we are diving into the Ag PhD mailbag. We're taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844 44 Ag PhD, or you can email us radio at agphd.com. Got a question that came in from Caleb in Wisconsin. He said, I did attend the Neil Kinsey fertility seminar, but I don't remember him touching on anhydrous at all. My question about anhydrous today is, do you believe that anhydrous makes soil hard? And if so, why does it make it hard? Okay. So Darren and I were talking about this just a little bit yesterday and Darren, Darren just asked me the question right away. And I said, yeah, I, I mean, it might make it a little bit hard, but a lot of that has to do with the tillage. And then you're just injecting that anhydrous. It just depends on how high a rate and all that kind of thing. But studies have shown that no anhydrous by itself does not make soil hard. Um, I, I think that a lot of people hear all these stories about anhydrous and are just led to believe, oh, it's got to be bad. Well, look, we're putting on such a small rate. A lot of times on our farm, we used to use 100, 150 pounds, even if it's 200 pounds. Just think about the whole soil and you threw a tiny little bit of stuff out there. You know, it's not that big a deal. In six inches deep of soil across an acre, that weighs two million pounds. Do we really think that 200 pounds of something is going to dramatically change anything? Not a chance. No. So, nope, not that big a deal. 
All oh, right. hey, by the way, I should uh, mention the one other thing people always bring up is, oh, anhydrous is going to kill a lot of the beneficial soil microbes. Sure. Almost anything is going to kill a lot of the beneficial soil microbes right at the point of injection. So you can have the same thing with manure. You could have the same thing with urea or, I mean, almost anything. It's possible that you could kill some stuff right there, right then because of salt or whatever other reason. Anhydrous, yeah, it's dangerous stuff. It can be pretty harsh. Um, and yes, you can kill some beneficial soil microbes right at the point of injection. But is that going to last long term? No. And those microbes are going to recover. So would I say that I love anhydrous in terms of interaction with soil microbes? No. But in the grand scheme of things, is it that big a deal? Is it that big a deal? No, it's not. All right. Thanks for the question. Um, got one here from Josiah, who says, thanks for all the input that you give each time you guys are talking. I always enjoy your content. I miss your uploads to YouTube as each segment was broken out and I could watch the content applicable to, applicable to me without losing much time with topics or lessons not applicable to my farm. Uh, just wondering about that. Well, hey, Josiah, you can watch full episodes or individual segments like our Weed of the Week or, or any of our segments right at agphd.com. So uh, we've just switched our venue just a little bit. So just go to agphd.com, click the Watch Ag PhD tab, and you can watch our shows, whatever way works best for you. Thanks for the question. Thanks for the support. We really appreciate that, too. All right, got one from James down in Kansas. He's really disheartened. He has river bottom ground. It floods out so often, and he never sees a return on investment with the things he's doing. Just wondering, how do we handle it? We've got river bottom ground. How do we handle that type of ground? And then uh, is the ultimate decision that he just has to sell that ground and buy upland ground, or yep. can he make the river bottom ground better somehow? Okay, you can make it better, but... Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, we've debated this for 40 years on our farm. Should we just get rid of that that low land ground? Heck, Darren and I were just talking about this, what was it, a week or two ago, Darren? And, and I said, yeah, land prices around us are nuts. And especially now that we're in a dry period, I mean, 2018 and 2019, you were going to sell that river bottom ground for squat. But now that we've had one good year, and we're going to have another one most likely because we're so dry, that we look at it and you go, you know, I bet people would be crazy enough to pay pretty darn good money for that. And then let's buy some upland ground that sure costs more, but then at least when you stick your dollars into it, you can typically get a decent return on investment. What we've done with river bottom ground more than anything is tiled it. And then I would, I would really suggest having a lift station. So you pump the water out. That way the water's always going out, not just going out when the river is low. So that's my number one piece of advice. But unless you can fix the levees, which, <laughs> let's face it, you can't, economically speaking. Um, but if you, can get, if you can get the government or somebody to fix your levees or, or build levees or whatever so the water stays off your ground, then just because the water table is high, that problem can be solved simply with tile. 
All right, white mold certainly impacts lots of crops. We got a question from Caleb down in Georgia. How is white mold different in peanuts than in soybeans? Obviously, there's a lot of crops, dry beans, lima beans, sunflowers, canola, lots of different crops that can get different white molds. Okay, so the white mold we deal with in the northern part of the United States, heat is the enemy of that white mold. The sclerotinia white mold that we talk about in the in sunflowers and canola and and soybeans if we have hot days so dry weather also also helps but dry weather will help with all white molds all sclerotinias but here it's the heat that will really drive that away so i don't know what kind of year we're going to have but if we have a warm summer and they typically talk about temperatures over 85 degrees. So that's when I usually tell people, hey, got to be over 90, okay, to give myself a little hedge there. But yeah, they say over 85 and the white mold starts to go away. Well, from the, with the, the peanuts and the white mold that, that they'll get in there, a lot of times it actually can be worse when it's hot. But one of the things that I I will often think about with like the southeastern part of the United States where a lot of peanuts are raised, it's so wet. I mean, way more moisture than what we'll get here in the northern United States. So we only get 22, maybe 24 inches of total annual precip. And in the southeast, you're talking two to sometimes even three times that much. So a lot different in terms of moisture. And moisture is the big key for both of them to some degree, but let's put it this way. Humidity is an enormous factor with all diseases. So the more humid you are, the more problem you're going to have. Well, when it's hot in the Southeast, what does that tell you? In order to keep the humidity levels up, that means you got to have a lot more rainfall. Uh, so I, I would say that's probably the biggest difference. Otherwise, I mean, they're both very related. They are both fungal diseases. With both of them, you aren't going to get 100% control unless you take like many different steps. So that's why earlier I had laid out uh, like nine different things that I would suggest. And, and we actually do even on our farm in the worst areas. So I, I look at them kind of the same, but yeah, they, they seem to act a little bit differently. Yep, different different fungicides work better on one versus the other, so they are slightly different pathogens. True. Yeah, yeah. All right, get this from Brian. He said we were talking about seeds per square foot, and he said just a comment when we're doing fence lines or hedgerow work. My dad always said another square foot is another stalk and ear, so we don't really care about straight rows and those kinds hey, of things. I, I I get that. Let's talk about that for just one second. There are forty three thousand five hundred sixty square feet in an acre. So yes, if you were planting forty three thousand five hundred sixty plants per acre, then it would be that. Now, we don't plant quite that thick. But the other factor is, well, what is every one of those worth? And so a lot of times I'm with you, you know, and and our dad too sometimes would talk about, hey, we want, you know, just a little more. If you get just a little wider or whatever, you have that many more plants. But what's a plant worth? Well, if you run the math right now, like on our farm, I figure every plant is worth about four cents. And that's actually high. It used to be a penny or maybe two. So the point is, if you get even a hundred more of those, what do you have? You got four bucks. So it's not that big a deal. So when the op- the option comes to, you know, I could plant down, start getting into my ditch. 
we don't advise you to do that. That's not super safe for people. You're not giving uh, water the place to go and all that kind of stuff. So follow the rules in your area. And I just say, yeah, every corn plant right now, at least for us, is only worth about four cents. So it's really not that much. Got a great picture of some of those corn plants from Hayden in central Minnesota. He said, here's a picture of my corn popping out of the ground here in central Minnesota. We definitely need some rain. And yeah, just looking at your picture, Hayden, that is some very dry soil there. But looks like you got good emergence, so you must have been able to plant down to some moisture at least to get things started. So yeah, we can sure use some rain. I know a lot of the pre-herbicides like we were talking about earlier on the show too could sure use some rain to start working as well. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.